Uh, this is going to be a TED talk, and TED talks I like to kind of make it a little bit more dynamic and kind of move as we go through as well. So many of you are here to learn new information that you can take back to your clinic or to your hospital. We're getting close to the second quarter of the year, right? I make a fact that right up front, that as you go into 2020, to the second quarter, as you're developing your healthcare strategies for your practice, your academic centers, wherever you are, if telemedicine is not part of that practice of your strategy, then you don't have a strategy. Now, in the words of our famous songwriter Halsey, let that sink in. So you think about that, and again, I use my kids as an example. I have a boy and girl twin. My son is a singer-songwriter. He lives in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a pilot now. Uh, now, now, when they turned 26 years old, had to get their own insurance. Uh, my daughter, she works at a private boys' schools in Manhattan, and she's lamenting that every uh, two weeks she has $800 that comes out of her check to pay for her health insurance. And that's just that's the reality. So I'm going to give you a couple scenarios and how what we see telemedicine and how that kind of fits in. Um, here's an example. So a 26-year-old kid just got their health insurance. A young lady, she has a mother who has deformed rheumatoid arthritis. Now that she has her own insurance, she doesn't want to end up like her mother. She doesn't want to wait to come in those 48 weeks to see somebody. So she calls you up and says, hey, I want to be seen. Your nurse who screens the call says, what are your symptoms? What do you have? No swelling joints, no painful joints, nothing at all. Uh, I just want to be screened. And they put the, the brakes on the system right there. So if I had the polling questions come up, what would you tell her? You say, one, don't call me. Call back if you have some symptoms. Two, go to University of North Texas. They'll see anybody, right? Number three, or you do a virtual visit with her. Now, hearing that lady it reminds me of another story. You heard about the two guys on the park bench. They're sitting there. Uh, one was a widow, one had been divorced, you know, watching people jog and going throughout the, the, the park throughout the day. And the one guy who was divorced, he turns over his friends, he said, no, I'm thinking about getting married again. And the guy said, really? He said, but this time I'll do a little different. I'm going to have almost like a prenuptial. He looks at his friends, okay, what would you do? He said, I'm going to request that she has three things. That my next wife, I want her to have this. I want her to have this. I want her to have this, All right? The guy looked at him and said, wait, wait, I get this story. You wanted to have a brain, you wanted to have a heart, but why would you want her to have rheumatoid arthritis? So I tell that story. Here's a, a good example, and we'll talk about another case. And this is a true story of mine. I have a lady who's a teacher, 56 years old. She works at a school. I'm open from 7.30 to 4.30. 4.30, the phones go off, the doors are locked. We have another hour, hour and a half to get the messages done, go through my inbox, and get everything done. This lady finishes up school at 3.45, and then after school, she's a counselor for the student counselor. She does all these different things. She cannot make it to the office. She's missed three appointments. She's going on nine months out. Now she needs some methotrexate. Say she needs everything else, and so she calls me up. What do we do? My staff for my first line of defense, they put the brakes on the system. So she calls in for her refill, said, no, you must be seen. That's my first answer. Second answer, hey, I'm not open, but go to urgent care. They're open all night. Or the third option is to go to uh, see me virtually, and that's what we talk about. So what is telemedicine, telehealth, virtual medicine, uh, whatever term you want to use? It essentially says that it is exchange of medical information from one site to another by electronic means. And here's a caveat. The goal is to improve or to enhance patient care. It's not to replace a physician-patient uh, relationship. It's not to replace the relationship between the healthcare provider and that patient. It's only to enhance well-operating procedures that are in place. And in fact, when we talk about telemedicine, telehealth, 80% of it is all of you guys. 
It's the physician, the nurse practitioner, that physician assistant, together with your MAs and everybody else. 15% is the, the, the logistics. How often will you see them? What kind of platform are you using? All of those different things. And then I will pull up one slide. Then the next one is all the technology. What are you using the scans like you see in the Air Force now with the clear? What do you have in the Google Glass? Um, I know two of my colleagues uh, in Charlotte and Miami who use this for the management of their patients. Whether they're using an electronic device like their smartphones, all the different things that we see. This is where the technology is. We used to have in our lobby one of these kiosks where patients could either put their thumbprint in or actually log in, the Phrygia system, do the hack score, they could do all those things before they're even seen by me. So all these procedures that are there in place. That's what telemedicine is. And again, like I started out this, the, the, the talk is, if you don't have that as part of your paradigm of your healthcare program, you don't have that. And what I should give a little snapshot about what we do, it makes it very simple. I can tell you the number one thing, emails and texts I was getting this week is, hey, what platform you do? How do I get set it up? Do I need a license? What about malpractice insurance? All of those different things. So we make it simple. I have Epic as my electronic medical system now. You see that on the right. And then we actually use Zoom teleconferencing. And connect with Zoom. The patient has a visual, the virtual practice that, um, visitor set up. I click on that in Epic, and then I'm able to dock it, do all my documentation. And now if you use Epic, they have everything. They have something now called Open Chart, right? Patient can see everything. They can communicate with you. And now they can take a picture of their joints. They can actually send that to me. They can take a picture of the skin. They can send all those different things to me, and that can be done electronically. It's, it's secured. Now, it was good to see um, all the, the, the couches and the pillows in the background, the piano and the fireplace and everything. We make it very nice. We have this little bubble that goes in the back of the chair. And when the patient sees me, all they see is that little blue screen. Or you can get a green screen, whatever color that you want. So they won't see the dust on my shelf. They won't see everything that's in my office. And that little bubble is there. I do a, a wide screen to kind of show you what it looks like. When I'm online with them, all they see is me and that little screen back behind there. So here's what we do. So we talk about seeing those patients who need to get in quickly. Like I see, I see nine new patients a day, and 30% of those should have never been in my clinic. It's a patient with back pain for seven years and a positive ANA. I would have done the screening up line. Uh, I would talk about, hey, who has alopecia? I pull up pictures. This is a real deal alopecia. We're not talking about a little hair on your pillows. We're talking about scarring alopecia. Because a positive ANA and back pain, that's not lupus. You go through all the criteria. And right up front, we can tell people who don't need to be seen by us and we can actually screen those patients out. And indeed, most of the new patients I see on a daily basis, some I don't see back at, in my practice, because we tell them, hey, we try to focus on the disease that we can treat. I'll give a couple examples of everything like this, and what do we do, and how is it virtual? So we have patients, using my follow-up patient, we do a 15-minute appointment with them, and I love the virtual visit because you never run behind. So that patient who goes on for 40 minutes in your clinic, you're looking at your watch, I'm not one of the guys, I have been up standing with my hand on the doorknob, and the patient's still talking to me. It's happened to all of us, right? So the patient, I say, make a one o'clock appointment with me. At 1.10, we get a five minute warning. We get a two minute warning and then the link is cut. I'm dictating while I'm on the, on the virtual connection with the patient and they do everything. So three minutes, what do you want from me? I need my methotrexate refills, that's what I want. I have a rash, is it coming from that injection? Is it coming from an infection? Is it coming from shingles? We do the rapid three. I was called glib, but one of my colleagues is not being glib. It's actually, hey, what can you do? Because again, virtual medicine is not replacing your relationship with the patient. Uh, we talk about that as well. And then the biggest thing is capturing these images. Uh, I just learned about now, looking at the canthus, and hey, who has DM versus you know, lupus? Those little pearls are what you need to take back. A couple minutes to relay the plan, and two minutes, you're done. You're going in and out the door. So if you look at a couple of cases here, I think you sh I saw this one of the slides earlier on that said, hey, that you can see this is inflammatory arthritis. 
is this coming from a rash? It's like lupus. Or again, is this somebody had uveitis? Is it pink eye? All the different things of what we talk about and see. I give another good example. I already can appreciate this one. A man with psoriatic arthritis. I can diagnose this in my sleep. Do I really need to see him in the clinic? Having those images, talking with the patient a couple minutes on the, by video chat, I get my blood work, I get my x-rays, I get my quantiferon, I get all those results, I have those back in a couple days, we connect on the phone and say, this is what we're going to do, can you come in tomorrow for an example, uh, uh, be teaching to start them on a drug and get from there. The other big question I've gotten in the last couple weeks, how do you do as far as follow-up? Like all of you, patients call in, I don't want to take my drug, I'm worried it's going to make this coronavirus flare, it's going to make all my, my disease flare. We say, and they don't even want to come to the clinic. I had two patients cancel this week because they're afraid to be exposed to everything. Now I don't have to worry about canceling. You might say, hey, let's do a connection virtually with me as well. And the way I do mine, again, people say I'm kind of crazy, but from 7.30 to 8 is when my virtual clinic goes off. Uh, if I haven't followed up within 24 hours with a virtual appointment, we schedule a follow-up patient with that. And then we do another set from 4.30 to 5 in the afternoon. That's why my doors are closed. We don't see live patients. We see the virtual patients there as well. And for doing this for four years, we've never gone without filling that slot. That indeed, I can tell you somebody who wants to be seen, uh, they want to be seen immediately. And now having Epic is really good because I got students who travel like they're at the University of Michigan, they're at Vanderbilt, they're at Duke, and we can see them all now virtually. So I tell you, as you think about telemedicine and doing virtual medicine, doing virtual rheumatology, that this is where the future is going to be. Not every single patient would be ideal for, but I think those patients with osteoarthritis, who we can't do a whole lot for, the fibromyalgia who just want to be seen, they want to be listened to, they want to be heard, and we can do that in real time. And the key thing is staying on time. And again, in January this year, the insurance companies raised the antis, uh, Anthem, Blue Cross, and now your knowledge begin to follow suit. They're actually covering these things. So if I say, what telemedicine codes do you use? We don't use the telemedicine codes. I do this, I do my documentation, and most of them I'm doing a level three or level four type visit. My new patients are usually a level five because we're reviewing records, I'm talking about labs and everything like that, and this is as well. That's telemedicine. So doing like we said, so if you don't have a telemedicine as part of your healthcare strategy, look at this, this is a good example of what's going on with this coronavirus now. You can still sit at home, you can be in the clinic with your doors closed and still deliver patient care. There are some people, yes, I need to do a lymph node exam, I need to listen to their lungs and their heart, but for the bulk majority of our patients, you're gonna see that, hey, we can deliver great care and again, the goal is not to replace what you're doing, it's to enhance the actively process that you have in place. Thank you very much.